People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. The guitar is very much in the spotlight today. My guest is Michael Watts, a guitarist, writer, educator, host, and filmmaker based in Sussex in the UK. And he is known for the depth of richness and expression in his playing and an instinctive ability to bring the best out of a guitar. And Michael actually regularly showcases priceless vintage instruments and the work of the world's finest guitar makers at festivals around the world. He's often invited to collaborate with luthiers in the design and creation of new instruments, giving an expert player's point of view about the sonic, aesthetic, and ergonomic characters of a guitar. And then as a filmmaker, he promotes the international guitar luthier scene with a body of work including interviews and live performances. So we're going to hear all about that in the course of this program, including Michael's new guitar. Michael, welcome. Michael, Thank Watts. you. Thank you very much, Rodney. It's a pleasure to be it's here. It's great to have you clutching your new guitar. And I, I want to just ask you, and I hope you're going to play us a chord or two later. <laughs> I'd love to. You are, in fact, in Cape Town to collect this guitar, which you've had made. Tell me the story about your relationship with Cassimi Guitars. Very gladly, yes. So I'm holding an instrument that is the result of a decade of friendship and collaboration with Matthew Rice and Matthias Rue of Cassimi Guitars. Uh, I'm also a, a little uh, lost for words <laughs> because I picked this thing up for the first time. I made the first music on it yesterday and there is uh, a little bit of time when you start to get used to an instrument. We're, we're getting used to each other. Which happens uh, with an instrument, doesn't it? Especially exactly. a string instrument, like a violin or a cello it's or a guitar. Exactly. There's, there is a, a haptic thing to it. In the, I mean, pianists sort of, uh, they, they don't get to experience this very often because very few pianists actually travel with their own instrument. They might take their own soundboard, yes. but they won't actually take their own instrument. And we are getting used to each other in the corporeal and the sonic sense. Um, <laughs> and it's it's an extraordinary experience and, and one that, despite the fact that I've been through these stages uh, several times before, it never loses its uh, immediacy and, and its power. So you'll have to forgive me if at times I sort of drift off into a <laughs> sort of silent trance. Um, I, I'm probably transfixed by, by what I'm holding. Uh, this guitar was made for me by, by Matthew and Matthias. Um, it was, in every sense, a collaboration. Uh, I've known uh, Cassimi guitars, as I say, for a decade now. This instrument was about three years in the making, from the initial discussion uh, through to my playing the first notes yesterday. And while that is an intense and beautiful process, it's only the start of my relationship with the guitar itself. So um, when you uh, when you commission a bespoke guitar from a luthier, which is something that is a relatively new way of approaching the instrument for steel string players, you know, it's only in the past uh, 30 years or so that a luthier-made steel string guitar has been uh, the chosen instrument. Is that a, a steel string guitar? It is, yes, uh, as opposed to the, the classical string, mm. uh, mm. classical guitar with nylon strings. So in the past, the objects of desire, the spoils of war for rock stars around the world would be uh, perhaps vintage pieces by Gibson, by Martin, uh, in particular instruments that were made in the pre-war era, so um, anything up to about 1939, 1940. What we have here, however, is almost the antithesis of that. Uh, it's not made in a factory in a, on a production line. This was produced, uh, this was created in the same way as a fine classical instrument, with a specific player in mind, myself in this extremely fortunate case, um, and with a specific response and timbre and voice and 
and musicality in mind. I play in uh, an open tuning. It's uh, the guitar is usually tuned in uh, what we call standard tuning. I use a suspended fourth chord, which is uh, D A D G A D. So my open tuning uh, allows me just with the open strings to have a certain amount of um, ambiguity. The tonality of what I play or what I write uh, is not dictated by the tuning that I'm in. If I was in an open minor or an open major tuning, that would be very different. Mm -hmm. So with this being a sus, two, uh, sus four chord, I can go from a, uh, a major idea, sort of a bluesy. Straight away. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, I think I see what you mean. <laughs> so, um, it's a bespoke guitar for you, mm. and as you said, the people, Matthew and Matthias, know you well as a person and as a musician. Indeed. Did you choose, for example, the wood? Or what is it made of? Right. It's made of African blackwood which would have originally come from Mozambique. That, uh, that's the wood that was used on the back and sides. And then on the soundboard, we have moon-harvested alpine spruce. Moon-harvested. Exactly. So there is a tradition in European woodworking where uh, spruce trees and other evergreens are harvested at the stage in the lunar cycle where the sap is at the lowest. My goodness me. Yes. Does that wood all come from South Africa? Uh, well, uh, no, you said... Um, so the black wood will have been from Mozambique, Mozambique originally, yes, yes. and the, the spruce itself will have been uh, from Switzerland. Oh, right, okay, of course. And uh, the neck is made of uh, mahogany. Mm -hmm. So these are you know traditional guitar-making uh, materials to some extent. African blackwood is a member of the rosewood family. It's a palisander. Um, the reason that I chose these woods. The, the woods do affect the voice of an instrument to a certain extent. What I mean by that is that it's up to the luthiers to bring out, either to either play with the inherent, immediate qualities of a wood, or to bring out latent, more nuanced textures. Uh, I have never owned a rosewood or blackwood instrument before. And uh, there are many reasons for that. I tend to play guitars made from mahogany or maple. You know, I like a, a drier sound. You get a fundamental uh, quality to the note with less overtones. However, when it comes to Kasimi guitars, what they do with African blackwood is very special. I haven't heard it anywhere else. And there are, you know, there are lots of people using this wood. Uh, but So that's down to the wood itself, but it's also down to what Matthew and Matthias do with it. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got the ingredients and then you've got the chefs. And uh, what I asked for was an instrument that would respond to what I do. I don't use um, much in the way... I, I, I've been described as an expressive fingerstyle guitarist. What that means is that there's not much in the way of flash. Uh, I'm closer to... Uh, in intent, I'm closer to Eric Satie than Oscar Peterson, let's say. Oh, that's, the good, <laughs> that's a good analogy <laughs> and a good combination. Yes, uh, there's, there's bits of both. <laughs> okay. Now, I want to ask you more about the actual make, making of that mm. guitar, but let's take a music break, and I'm intrigued as to what you've chosen. Jeff Beck, because mm. we've ended as lovers. Tell me why you've chosen this. Right, so uh, Jeff Beck, who passed away recently, was in many ways the archetypal British guitar hero, uh, starting with his work with the Yardbirds and then uh, on his own as a solo act. Because um, We've Ended as Lovers uh, comes from his album uh, Blow by Blow. It is dedicated to another of my guitar heroes, the late great uh, Roy Buchanan, who was a very tortured soul, uh, but an exquisite player. I did think about uh, asking you to play some of Roy's music, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's not for everybody and it's not for every day. <laughs> so um, I thought, let, let's go with Jeff. This piece was, it was actually written by Stevie Wonder, and it was written for uh, Stevie Wonder's ex-wife, Sarita Wright, 
who recorded it, but Stevie never recorded it. It is, I think, one of the most lyrical and expressive pieces of electric guitar playing I've ever encountered, and, uh, and I'd like to share it with you. Jeff Beck there, and that piece was called Because We've Ended as Lovers, and it was the first choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, Michael Watts, who's in South Africa to collect a smart, brand-new guitar, a bespoke guitar made by Kasimi Guitars, and he's showing it off here in the studio, Michael, and quite right. I just want to 
ask you a few naive questions. Please do. For example, I notice that the hole mm. is kind of oval shaped and not the usual circle. Is there a reason for that? There is indeed. And uh, I will introduce this, but the best person to talk about this is, is Matthew Rice of Kasimi Guitars, who's also here in the studio. This is an ellipse. An ellipse, yes, yes. yes, yes. Uh, there is another sound hole oh, here right, for right. me. I've never seen that before. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's It's been... It started off in classical guitars and was incorporated in steel strings towards the mid of the ni- 1990s, really. Um, we've got another ellipse here. The upper bout, the shoulders, ellipse, uh, elliptical. We've got a, an elliptical lower bout. Ellipses everywhere. Everywhere, I see. And one of the main reasons for that is this idea of constant motion. And Matthew is the man to talk to you about that. Let me introduce you to Matthew. Matthew is one of the two members of Kasimi Guitars who is responsible for some rather smart guitars I'm told including this one that we're looking at so Matthew welcome welcome thank you tell me a little bit about why or did you maybe you can ask him Hmm. did you ask him to do the sort of oval thing no this is an integral part of the uh, Kasimi Guitars design oh okay is it yes it has been since the very beginning Matthew has a background in uh, design and in uh, silversmithing and jewellery making he was responsible for uh, these extraordinary bronze inlays Mm. and uh, he is the uh, Minister for Aesthetics Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice compliment for you, Matthew. (laughs) So tell us about the challenges in making this guitar. The challenges in making this guitar. Well, we... This guitar is is fairly uh, typical aesthetically of what we do in that you can recognize a Cassimi guitar from about 100 paces. Oh, yes. Um, What sets them apart is what Michael was talking about with all of the elliptical um, emphasis in the design. Um, one of the interesting challenges with this guitar was that Michael's one of Michael's specific ideas was to omit a cutaway. So every single guitar that we've built to date has always included a cutaway to give you access to the upper frets. Um, but in this case, he twisted our rubber arm and we omitted it. <laughs> um, it was something I was a little bit skeptical of in the, in the beginning. But as Michael said, this has been a collaboration between the three mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something we would have done unless we built it for Michael. But it turns out it's a wonderful idea. Um, and one of, the, one of the great things about doing that is that it's allowed us to fit a lot more air mass into a smaller body. Mm-hmm. Oh, in other words, okay. this is the smallest body size that we make. So this is what's called our C1 model. And we go through to C5, which is a baritone, um, which is like a large jumbo size guitar. Far too big for me, yeah. <laughs> um, but it allows us to pack more or less the same area into the C1 body size as we have in the C2 body size. What I find quite interesting, Michael, is what you said, that oval uh, hole there on the mm. side. Does that mean you can hear more clearly what you are playing it rather than it coming back to you in the hall? Yes, indeed. So one of the issues, I'm, I'm sure you know this is, as well as anybody, Rodney, is that uh, the performer always gets the worst seat in the house as far <laughs> as uh, sound goes. Uh, the, what we call a, a sound port is an additional hole mm-hmm. um, on the shoulder of the instrument, uh, which does give me something like a, a monitor of what's going on. Oh. However, there's more to it than that. The use of a sound port uh, can, within the context of a Kasimi guitar, because there's lots of people trying this sort of thing, but you need to know what you're doing mm-hmm. and in, or, in order for it to function effectively. Uh, it really uh, frees up the bass response and the harmonic response of the instrument. So uh, what might have been a uh, perhaps slightly indistinct collection of overturns becomes a clearly defined and articulate stack of upper partials. Um, Matthew, did you, are all your guitars made with that little side hole? They are, are all Casimi guitars with mm, that little side yes, hole? Yes, they are. Yeah, no. um, yeah. we, we tried it a long time ago, about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. on one of the first instruments that we'd built. Um, and it was immediately apparent that it made a very positive difference to the overall sound, but particularly, in, as Michael said, in the basses and harmonics. Okay. So we've done it ever since. What Matthew hasn't told you is that they tried it on a completed instrument 
curiosity got the better <laughs> of them and they had at it with a drill. Oh my. <laughs> And did that not work? <laughs> it did. It was perfect. Yes, oh, and suddenly it, it, worked, it, was, uh, it worked wonderfully. It worked wonderfully, and so mm. ever since, every single Cosima guitar has had has a, had that a sound port featured in. Is it, it unique to Cosima guitars? No, do you think? it's not. No, it's, oh, it's something okay. that's been within the guitar world for many years. But the physics involved, um, you do have to be, be uh, you do have to be careful about the positioning of the hole, the size of the hole, the area, and uh, the way that it affects the air pumping within the chamber. Mm -hmm. This is something that I'm going to be demonstrating uh, this weekend. Not only am I here to collect the guitar, but I'm going to be playing a debut concert in the workshop where it was created. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. We've got uh, candlelight and flowers and all this sort of thing going on. I, I've played in the workshop before. Last time I was in South Africa, I, uh, I played there. I have a pet theory that the best place on earth uh, that you can hear an instrument is the workshop where it was born. My goodness. Simply because uh, each piece of wood was voiced and the instrument was given life in, mm -hmm. that, uh, in that environment. And in order to make the decisions that went into the instrument's creation, well, each luthier had to use their ears in order to do that. So every single part of that is informed by the physics and acoustics of that particular space. I want you towards the end of the program to let us know how you come to see this concert, unless it's just for an invited it, audience. It's for an invited audience, oh, but okay. I'd, love, I'd love you to be there, Ronnie, if you can. Make <laughs> <it>. <laughs> okay. I'm going to suggest we have another piece of music now. Yes, please. And you've chosen Pentangle. What I is have. that? What or who? Uh, I've chosen the song No Love is Sorrow by Pentangle. Pentangle uh, were a 1960s folk rock band um, that drew a lot of influence from jazz as well. Uh, it was a five-piece band, two guitarists, Bert Jansch and John Renborn. Um, John Renborn uh, was my teacher and mentor uh, for many years and uh, just a preternaturally gifted uh, musician. Bert Jansch was a hero of mine and of my father's. He used to play me Bert Jansch songs in my baby bands though when I was tiny. <laughs> Um, the band was also made up of an incredible vocalist, uh, Jackie McShay, and uh, Terry Cox on drums, and Danny Thompson on string bass. So you've got a really sort of uh, eclectic collection of textures going on there. Acoustic guitars, double bass, uh, a full sort of jazz drum kit, and then this beautiful folk voice going on. So this was back in uh, in the 60s and 70s. Pentangle were huge around the world. They toured with Jimi Hendrix, they toured with the Beatles. Um, they were described as one of the hardest, heaviest sounding bands ever at that point. Um, and out of love for the, the music of Bert and John jointly and severally, I thought, well, how am I going to squeeze everybody in <laughs> so. uh, in the hour that we have? So I thought, well, we'll, we'll do one Pentangle song. Just like the songbird 
A group called Pentangle, and they were playing No Love Is Sorrow. And it was one of the choices of my guest on People of Note this week, Michael Watts, guitarist, writer, educator, host, filmmaker. We're going to find out about those things as well, Michael. Mm. But um, we're talking about your guitar, which you're holding very proudly there and looking as though you're already in love with it, even though you've only had it for 24 hours oh, when you no, recorded no. this. But there's one thing, one more thing physically mm. I want to ask you about, and that is the way that end bit is designed because the, I don't know what it's the called. The end bit that we also know as the headstock. This Although one. I'm now going to call it the end bit because <laughs> that's much more poetic. The, um, it's completely, well, it's a big hole there is around a, yes, which yes, well, is some it is, wood. Um, this is, uh, well, it's a couple of things. First of all, it's a signifier of who made the instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the luthier guitar world, there are certain uh, design flourishes that prove um, provenance, pedigree, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So within the context of a Cosima guitar, it's things like the use of ellipses everywhere, this beautiful bridge design, the label, uh, the rosette around the sound hole, and the headstock. And each, uh, in an ideal world, each headstock design would be entirely proprietary. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to get this right, though, especially if you're a new luthier. Uh, you, it's very easy to get um, sidetracked by other people's designs and maybe try and put a little tweak on it. And you end up uh, with work that is sophomoric and lacks identity. And there's also certain people that will try and uh, appropriate the semantic weight <laughs> of existing designs. I see. Okay, okay. What we have here is a... And I don't think either Matthew or Matthias will mind me describing it as such. It's a virtuoso flourish. This is not an easy thing to pull off at all. Uh, it's an extraordinary design. It's very well thought out. It's balanced beautifully. Uh, what the listeners sadly can't enjoy, but I can show it to you, is this elegant recurve at the leading edge. So it's almost oh, like a right. Mobius strip. The eye follows the lines. Indeed, I see what you mean. All the way around, and that is, uh, to me, uh, as a lover of, of the luthier-made instrument, it's a signal of intent. I've learned to associate this level of uh, commitment to the aesthetic side of the instrument with a similar level of commitment and intent to the voicing of the guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, as such, things like this make me inordinately happy. <laughs> right. it's, it's away from the, uh, from the function, uh, from the functional design of, of a Martin or a Gibson. It is pure virtuosity. How do you feel about that, Matthew, being complimented like that? Well, it's very nice. Are all your guitars... <laughs> he wasn't they, supposed to hear. <laughs> <laughs> are all your guitars, do they have the same head set, square, what? Headstock. Headstock. Head yes. <laughs> the end bit. The so end they bit. all have that... The end bit with the fiddly bits. Ah, yes. at the end. Yes. Ah, they Which are vital. Yeah. Yes. No, but now you've, you've just swung the guitar around and I've seen something on the back. What is that? Yes. It's not a scratch, I hope. No, no, not at all. So <laughs> um, what happens with, uh, with a, a bespoke instrument? Or, or There is an opportunity, let me put it this way, there is an opportunity for somebody ordering a guitar like this to introduce aesthetic themes that mean something to them. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, there are two themes that we're looking at. And the first is uh, humanity and nature. And this is reflected, uh, it's a central theme of music making, of, uh, certainly of musical instrument making. Of course. This is reflected in the choice of woods and the fact that this is made by uh, human beings from a natural material. But uh, in particular, this is reflected by the use of bronze, which was the first alloy. So a vital uh, stage in the development of humanity. Another theme is one of healing and of repair. The visual motif here um, is inspired by my time in Japan as a, as a teenager. Uh, I love Japanese culture, food, music, film. Uh, I think it's absolutely wonderful. And one thing that I find particularly inspiring is an art form called kintsugi, which is the repair of a broken ceramic vessel using gold. Oh, wow. So the broken pieces are glued back together. Kintsugi, I believe, uh, translates directly as the beautiful scar. So 
it's a um, and you can see the gold you can see the, the gold in the joints exactly bringing it back together so yeah. but the very fact that the uh, the ceramic work suffered beautified it and <laughs> gave uh, I see what you and, mean and gave the artist uh, uh, an opportunity to make it unique yeah. as well as yeah. beautiful uh, so the theme is one of healing and okay. one of uh, uh, of repair and so we have this kintsugi theme executed in the bronze. Now, uh, Matthew, he won't mind me telling you this, he did a lot of research in this, and he actually uh, used that same Japanese technique with wood. However, he found that it wasn't working in quite the same way that he would have liked. So he uh, developed an inlay that used the same sort of... it, it, It created the same sort of aesthetic, cast it in bronze and then inlaid it into the wood itself. And what we have on the back here, it's very common for a, a guitar to have a back strip. The, mm-hmm. the back is made out of two pieces of wood and very often it's an opportunity to have a little visual flourish. The back strip in this case is a, another beautiful kintsugi piece. It's the biggest one on the instrument itself. And as you can see, the bronze shines silver, gold and red Mm -hmm. Um, there's a chatoyance to it which I find beautiful and as you look at it it could be a lightning bolt, it could be a river plate it could be anything Yes, that's true certainly nature's there that's it exactly Um, we're going to take another piece of music Mm. and then I'm going to ask you about yourself your background etc David Ruffin, rainy night in Georgia yes Oh. What's that all about? What's that all about? Okay, so um, <laughs> this is, I believe, one of the finest male vocal performances ever captured. It is astonishing in terms of virtuosity. David Ruffin was a soul singer, very troubled individual, and this performance of Rainy Night in Georgia shows some of his not all of it, but some of his range. So from the deepest bass through to, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but there is an absolutely life-affirming whistle note um, about halfway through the song. It's beautifully orchestrated. It's sensual. It's longing. It's uh, just an incredibly rewarding listen. And uh, it's been part of my life for many years. Pouring by my suitcase Trying to find my warm place To spend the night Falling Seems I hear your voice Calling It's alright
without feeling it's raining all over the world. How many times I've wondered It still comes out the same No matter how you look at it Or think of it It's alright And you just got to play the game the sound of David Ruffin and a piece called Rainy Nights in Georgia. I'm talking to Michael Watts, a guitarist here, clutching his new bespoke guitar made for him by Cassimi Guitars. And we're talking about it, aesthetic beauty, and I hope you're going to hear a little bit more of it, mm. by the way, Michael. But I just want to go back a bit. Are you are you a classical guitarist or a jazz pop guitarist? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I started off as a classical guitarist when I was a child. Um, I started playing guitar seriously when I was six years old. Um, up to that point, it had just been a hobby. And uh, I finished my classical grades. When I, by the time I was about sort of 14, 15, I then discovered uh, through the playing of people like Isaac Guillory, Pierre Ben Susan, uh, John Renborn, and Bert Jansch, uh, that we talked about earlier, um, the joy of the steel string instrument. Uh, and from that, I went uh, to electric guitar as well. So over the years, I've played all sorts of different styles of guitar and all sorts of different kinds of music, uh, each of which has been like another language, another idiom, perhaps, within the uh, original form. So you mentioned electric guitar, but otherwise it's mostly acoustic, is right it? Right now it's mostly acoustic. Yeah, I found okay. my voice as a writer with the acoustic guitar, uh-huh. and certainly in terms of... Uh, the majority of what I do, it is the steel string acoustic guitar. Have you produced CDs? Uh, I have one debut album uh, called Vetiver, which is available through my website, and the second album is going to be happening as soon as I hot-foot it back from Cape Town, <laughs> straight into my studio, <laughs> get the mics up, and, and I've been waiting for this guitar. For to do it on yeah, there, yes, yes. For this new voice. And then also, um, do you have any, did you say you compose as well? Yes, uh, most of what I do is original pieces. Okay, okay. Uh, I love the discipline of composition, um, as well as arrangement. You know, every once in a while I will arrange a piece of music, but that's very much almost impressionistic, uh, broad strokes. I don't feel like I need to transpose the entirety of, of a piece to as the solo guitar idiom. I know a lot of people do that, and that's great but I tend to do a sort of a wash. <laughs> the the wash idea. Yeah, a yeah. wash. And what about the uh, filmmaker? Mm. What, what, what do you do film-wise? Right, so I make a series called Luthier Stories, which is a series of interviews 
with guitar makers around the world. And it has taken me quite literally as far as Cape Town, as far as Hawaii, uh, Texas, Oakland, California, um, the wilds of Scotland wow. to, uh, to film these incredibly talented human beings in their natural habitat. And I, uh, <laughs> I mean, in one way, it's a, it's a thinly veiled excuse to hang out with friends of mine. Well, why not? <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it's content that's, uh, that's in, in tends to, uh, or is intended to educate and entertain. But you also do podcasts, don't you? You were I telling do, me you yes, know all yes. about radio, and I was trying to tell you where to sit with the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I do a podcast for Fretboard Journal, which is a, a guitar-based uh, magazine in the USA. So this is the exact time to ask you about your website address where we can find out more about you. Absolutely. You'll find me at michaelwattsguitar.com. Okay. That's nice and neat. Now, um, I do want you to play something before we play one of our last, maybe just, I, I certainly don't mean a one-hour recital. Are you that sure? Would be I, was, very I was hoping <laughs> you'd ask for a 40-minute jazz odyssey because well, no. I'm prepared. <laughs> So whatever you do, it's entirely up yes. to you. But maybe to demonstrate um, the richness of sound, which you speak mm. about on that, um, and also its its presence, because it's very alive just sitting here listening to you strum a few things. It is. It's very alive, for want of a better word. And it's also very new, so it doesn't know it's a guitar yet. This is, <laughs> this is as I say, the... Uh, and it doesn't know who you are yet, exactly. completely. Exactly. We've just yeah. met. Yeah. This is the, the best it's ever going to look and the worst it's ever going to sound. Uh -huh. So... We're starting this. Okay, let's see what we got. Okay, you can lift your foot off the pedal now. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Thank you, thank you. Was that something you wrote? It is, yes. Okay, yes. all right. Now, we are approaching the end of the program, I hate mm. to tell you. Oh, really? Michael, it's been fascinating as a non-guitarist, um, listening and watching and absorbing what you've been doing. And it sounds lovely, and I hope quite soon we'll have a CD out with a picture of that guitar uh, <laughs> that people can go out and buy. I might just put the end bit with my face <laughs> next to it. <laughs> By the way, he's sending me up about the end bit because I couldn't <laughs> remember what it was called. What is it called? Headstock. Headstock. The headstock yes. And by the way, for listeners, what we're going to do is put two or three pictures of the guitar on our web on our website, uh, Facebook website, and then you can also have a look at what we've been talking about. Radio being famous for not having pictures. Yeah. Now, Michael, you want us to end with Led Zeppelin. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. There's a, a number of reasons. It was one of the most thrilling things I'd ever heard when I encountered the band. Um, it was uh, in my teens. I was on a hiking holiday with my parents, found a little junk shop and found the vinyl records of Led Zeppelin 1 and 2. Uh, and then about 20 years later, I found myself uh, as taking part in a concert celebrating the music of Bert Jansch and... Uh, among the people, the artists playing there was Robert Plant. And I got to hear Robert Plant's voice as close to me as, as we are now, mm -hmm. completely unamplified, untrammeled by any kind of technology, just air molecules shifting in my ears. And it was the best thing I have ever heard. My goodness me. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we're going to hear. Uh, good times, bad times, Led oh, yes. Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
Zeppelin, not very often heard on Fine Music Radio. That piece was called Good Times, Bad Times. Uh, one of the last choices of Michael Watts. I think we can fit in one more, Michael, but yes, only please. if you uh, allow me to ask you a quick question mm. about you uh, showcasing priceless vintage instruments. Is that another string to your bow? It's certainly one of them, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I regularly get invited to demonstrate the sonic characteristics of, of instruments. It depends uh, where in the world I am as to what kind of instrument that might be. So it might be a Gibson from the 1920s, uh, a John Monteleone archtop from the 1990s, a you know, priceless right. jazz guitar that might have been hanging at the Met Museum one day and then finds itself into my hands the next. <laughs> Lucky you. Um, yeah, well, quite, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful to uh, every luthier who's put their instruments in my hands over the years, and uh, I hope that I've uh, done a half-decent job of bringing out their properties and their musicality. Well, you've introduced them to Fine Music Radio listeners, how about that? Exactly. If anyone else wants a bespoke guitar. Um, Before we play your last piece, just one quick repeat of your website. Yes, it's michaelwattsguitar.com. And his guitar is made by Kasimi Guitars, C-A-S-I-M-I, which you can find on the website as well. Now, your Beatles track we've managed to fit in because you looked so crestfallen when I said <laughs> we might not fit in any Beatles. <laughs> well, the Beatles, I think, to to any uh, British music maker, are uh, a vital part of, of what we grew up. You know, it's kind of grew up with. It's kind of mother's milk, and uh, this particular song means a lot to me. It's a song of nostalgia. It's a song of reminiscences. Uh, one particular reminiscence for me is the fact that it was my introduction to improvised music. I used, uh, I think I was about five years old, uh, and I got a kazoo in my Christmas stocking, and I sat in the laundry basket. It was clean. <laughs> I sat in the laundry basket, and I would play my kazoo along to this song. And then there would be this beautiful, uh, what sounds like a harpsichord solo. It's actually a, a piano solo that's double-timed. Uh, it's sped up. And I would nearly pass out trying to play along to that on my kazoo. So, yes, it was uh, a very esoteric introduction to the world of improvised music. Okay, so we're going to end with that with the Beatles, In My Life. And thank you very much, Michael Watts. It's been a fascinating chat to you. And also a guest appearance from Matthew from uh, Kasimi Guitars. Thank you to both of you. It's been a pleasure, Rodney. Places I remember Some are living.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.